0: So yeah, so today we're continuing our series on the respectable sins and we're going to think in particular about sins of the tongue um, or sins through our speech. And the idea behind the series is that we're starting to put a spotlight on the particular areas in our lives where we can sort of sleepwalk into respecting or tolerating sinful behaviour that the Bible condemns. So we tend to be really good at identifying and condemning some behaviours like theft or adultery or murder we know that they're clearly sinful and we need to avoid them and even if you asked a random person on the street what the bible said about theft they'd know it was wrong and so in these areas it would almost seem to take more conviction for a Christian to sin because we would be in absolutely no doubt that what we were doing was wrong but then there are sort of other sins which seem to be a bit more Slippery and insidious. They're harder to define, and the boundary lines seem blurred. And if we're being completely honest with ourselves, maybe we just don't really see them as being that bad. So today we'll be thinking about speech in particular. We're going to think primarily about gossip, but we'll also think about slander and critical words briefly at the end. And we're going to see how using our tongue in this way is sitting against God and damaging to our relationships with each other. So firstly then, what's the big deal? Why, why talk about this? Well, throughout the Old and New Testaments, there are frequent warnings to God's people for how to use their speech. So the Book of Proverbs is full of wisdom about how to live and how not to live. And within its pages, there are 60 warnings about speech and use of language. We'll talk about a few of them today. And they're on the back of the sheet, the readings we'll use, um, in a table at the bottom. Moving into the New Testament, we've got probably the most famous passage of the Bible on the topic of speech in James chapter 3. And it likens the tongue to a small fire that sets a great forest ablaze. Now, I don't know if people can remember back to the news a few years ago, this is before the pandemic, when Australia was suffering from these terrible forest fires, And we had all these images of this sort of towering wall of flames moving for miles and miles across the landscape and leaving just devastation in its wake. And this is the sort of magnitude of damage and destruction that the Bible is linking to careless use of the tongue. If you look at Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, we can see that he emphasised the importance of taking care in our language. So in Matthew 12, in his speech against the Pharisees, He warns them that on the Day of Judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. There's no such thing as a throwaway comment. It's not a category. It doesn't exist. One day we'll all have to give an account for how we've used our words. So before we move on, I just want to highlight here how the warnings in Matthew and James seem to focus on this idea of controlling or taking care with the tongue. Jesus is warning against careless words. It's interesting that in the places where the Bible teaches us how not to speak, the focus doesn't seem to be on warning against a cold, calculated lie or manipulation or verbal assault. Obviously those things are wrong, but maybe the real danger for us is less when we're thinking about what we're saying and more when we're just on autopilot and not really giving a second thought to what's coming out of our mouths. But the Bible is very clear. We can't afford to be unthinking when it comes to our speech. Uh, The cost to ourselves and others is too great. So the bulk of this morning is going to be about what not to say, but that doesn't mean we all need to sign it to a monastery and take a vow of silence. The Bible also tells us what kind of language a Christian should use. So near the end of Ephesians 4, Paul's been explaining to the church in Ephesus how to live in the reality of what Christ has done for them. So this is through the putting off of practices that were part of the old self and the putting on of practices that are part of this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in verse 29, Paul speaks in particular as to the speech that should distinguish Christians as living as one of these new creations in Christ So he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And that should be the defining purpose of our speech as Christians. So as we're thinking about how not to use our speech, let's be thinking about how our speech instead might be used for building each other up and giving grace. So we'll talk first about gossip then. So there's no glossary in the Bible where gossip is explicitly defined, but there are often descriptions of gossip in action. And it's often linked with descriptions of the character of the individual engaging in it, so the gossip. So in Proverbs 11, the gossiper is labelled as being an untrustworthy. So in verse 13, and you've got it in the table on the back, it says... A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. This is someone who cannot be trusted with important or private matters. In 2620, the gossip is identified as someone who starts quarrels or fights. So without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. They are to argument what wood is to the fire. A gossiper is figuratively fueling the flames of arguments and disagreements. Proverbs also helps us identify some of the reasons for why we're tempted into gossiping in the first place. It feels fun. So in Proverbs 18 it's described as delicious morsels. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. And we can see the truth in that, can't we? Um, the excitement we can sometimes feel when our work colleague finds us and says did you hear about so and so or you'll never guess what this person said gossip is fueling our own ego while it's bringing others down now one attempt made to summarise the bible's teaching on gossip into sort of one coherent definition has been made by an American pastor called Matt Mitchell and I think it's a really helpful definition to work with Um, so they summarised gossip as bearing bad news Behind someone's back, out of a bad heart. Bearing bad news, behind someone's back, out of a bad heart. I think that's a really helpful definition because it's breaking down gossip into those three recognisable features. The quality of the information that's being shared, so the bad news. The circumstances it's being shared in, so it's behind someone's back. And the intention behind the sharing, so the bad heart. And we'll think about each of these in turn. So what do we mean by bad news? Well, the quality of the news being shared might be bad simply because it isn't true. So deliberately sharing, embarrassing or humiliating information about someone that we know is false would actually come under our definition of slander that we'll talk about later on. But if we're taking and sharing information about someone and we're taking it completely at face value, not giving a second thought to whether it's true or not, we're in danger of spreading lies and straying into gossiping territory, we need to take care that when we're speaking of others, the information we're sharing is true, accurate and fair. And of course, even if we feel confident that something we're sharing is true, that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be shared. So you might have come across the expression, it isn't gossip if it's true, but I don't think that's a distinguishing characteristic that the Bible supports. There's a time to share and a time to remain silent. And just because what we'd be sharing is true doesn't mean it necessarily needs to be said. And we'll think about this more later on when we talk about critical speech. So that's the content of what we're saying, the bad news. But the next part of our definition is the circumstances in which a conversation is taking place. So by our definition, gossip is only occurring when someone is not present. It's behind their back scripture highlights the secrecy and slyness of this sin so in the esv translation of some of the proverbs we've read they use the term whisperers frequently instead of gossip now if you've been part of a conversation where you've had to lean in and lower your voice look around to see who else is there it was probably gossip or if you've ever felt the awkwardness of someone walking into a room just at the moment you're about to start talking about them you'll know that gossip's not something that's done when the individual in question is present. Gossip is always behind an individual's back. Now, of course, there are times when we should speak about an individual when they're not present. So if you're on the street and you're witnessing a crime, like a robbery or a mugging, you obviously shouldn't think, I can't call the police because that's talking about someone behind their back. Of course you should. Gossip is only shared when someone is not present. But that doesn't mean that every word shared when someone's not around is definitely gossip. There's a time to share and a time to stay silent. So finally then, in our definition of gossip, we're going to think about words shared from a bad heart or bad intentions. So going back to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus links the words we speak to our hearts. He says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if when we speak, our intentions are going against those putting on, putting off principles we spoke of earlier, we're liable to gossip. And even to ourselves, our motivations for sharing information might not always be clear. So a joke you might have heard is that when Christians want to gossip, we just start a sentence with, please can you be praying for? Um, Now it's perfectly possible and right to ask for prayer for people who are going through a tough time but if we're starting a sentence with the phrase please pray for but we haven't actually been praying for this person ourselves our motivation for asking is probably not that they'll receive prayer Um, maybe we've asked for prayer for someone in the past and we've recounted in great detail the difficult and challenging situation they're in or the sins they're struggling with and we can find ourselves disappointed by the lack of a reaction in the person we're confiding in we're gossiping aren't we We're sharing more to have an entertaining conversation rather than out of a sort of genuine concern for the person in question. Of course, as with the other characteristics of gossip, we know that there are times when unflattering information shared behind someone's back is right and correct. So we know Jesus lived a perfect life, never acted with sinful motivations, and he often spoke critically about the Pharisees while they were physically absent. So there is a time to share, but if you're like me, we're probably more likely to be sharing bad information behind someone's back out of bad motivations rather than good. There's a time to share and a time to be silent. So just finish off this section before we move into discussion. How can we spot gossip in our own conversations? Or how can we identify when what we're sharing is straying out of that sort of genuine, loving concern um, and into a conversation that's more to build ourselves up and tear others down? So looking at the parts of our definition in turn, I think there are a few helpful, clarifying questions we can ask ourselves. So firstly, maybe just asking, is what I'm saying true? (laughs) Is it accurate? And how sure am I that it's accurate? And if I'm satisfied that what I'm saying is true, does it need to be said? Is it my story to tell? Would it be better to just let that individual choose who they want to share this with or not? Thinking carefully about the content of our speech can help us identify when sharing might become gossip. So then we can think about the circumstances we're sharing in. So Would I be telling this story if this person was physically present? Or maybe we could even think about how we would feel if we knew someone else was talking about us in this way. Would it be acceptable to us? And finally then, we should give some consideration to the reasoning behind what we're saying. Why am I saying this? Is this really a loving thing to say? Is it kind? Is this language going to build people up or tear them down? And if we can't give good answers to those questions, it's probably better to stay silent. So we'll spend a little bit of time in discussion now. So if you want to get maybe into threes and fours um, with the people in the chairs around you, there's a few questions, I think, on the bottom of the handout, on, on the, uh, if you turn over the page at the top. Um, so we'll take about five or six minutes and then I'll bring us back in um, for slander and critical speech. All right, shall we come back in? (laughs) Great, thanks everyone. Um, So this last little bit before um, we start to get ready for church, we're just going to be spending a few brief moments thinking about slander and critical speech. So Jerry Bridges' book, On the Respectable Sins, um, he defines slander as the making of a false statement or misrepresentation about another person that defames or damages their reputation. So slander is lies, but it's lies that are designed to humiliate and embarrass. It's spoken of throughout the scriptures, and it's even highlighted specifically alongside gossip in Paul's description of the unrighteous in Romans 1. Now, in modern times, we often think about slander in the context of vicious political campaigns, so maybe old statements or tweets or isolated activities by political candidates, they're taken hopelessly out of context and they're used to present politicians as being out of touch. They're going against the grain on some important social issue. And the intention here is clear. It's to create a false or slanderous impression in those who are listening... Now, we might think that as Christians, slander requires a level of malice and conviction that we're unlikely to sort of simply slip into. We might think that if this is what slander is, then maybe avoiding temptation in this area is actually not that difficult. But slander can slip into our speech in ways that are far more subtle. So, for instance, when we misrepresent people's positions or ascribe motives or intentions to people that we can't possibly know. So maybe there's a member of church, they've missed the occasional Sunday service or midweek group, or they've been difficult to pin down on a serving rota. Can we be quite quick to talk about this person as being uncommitted or not fully engaging with church? Can we see that perhaps we're ascribing a motive here that might be true but might not be true While, of course, we'd encourage people to be regular at church and to join a small group, there are any number of reasons why someone might miss a week. Maybe a sick relative or family emergencies kept them away. And if in our speech we're giving motives to people that we can't know, we might be slandering. So helpful questions to ask ourselves to help us spot slander might be, is what I'm saying actually true? Or am I assuming a motive here that I can't really know for sure? And if we're unable to give good answers to those questions, it's probably better to stay silent. So that was just a really brief thought on slander. And then lastly, critical speech. So again, Jerry Bridges defines this as negative comments about someone that may be true, but that don't need to be said. And I think we can maybe see a biblical example of this in the very early stages of the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. So Joseph returned from pasturing the flock with his brothers in the field, and we're told that he presents his father with a bad report of their behavior. He's come and tattled on them, basically. He said, this is what they're doing, this is what I've been doing. He's painted a bad picture of what's been going on. Now, we know from the rest of the story of Joseph that this contrast that's being drawn here between Joseph's own righteousness and the behaviour of his brothers is largely going to be borne out by future events. So they're going to capture him, sell him into slavery, while it's ultimately through Joseph's actions that his brothers and the rest of God's people will be saved. But in the immediate setting, although Joseph's words are true, they serve to alienate him from the rest of his family. And I guess just because something is true doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be said. And we live in a society where complaining or criticising is more or less a norm. We're very good at moaning. We can moan about sports, the weather, food, politics. When course mates or our boss at work or family at home are difficult, we can be quick to jump into criticism and complaining But I think the questions to be considering around our speech should be, I know that what I'm sharing is true, but is it loving or is it kind? Does it actually need to be shared? What will be the outcome of my sharing this? And I think going back to our Ephesians passage is a helpful guide here. Is what I'm sharing going to build others up and give them grace? And if not? again, probably better to stay silent. As we tie all of this together then, I thought it would be helpful to just reflect back on the passage in Matthew in which Jesus identifies the ultimate source of the words that come out of our mouths. So the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. So our sins of the tongue are really just manifestations of that deeper heart problem. We're tempted to sin through gossip and slander and critical speech because the desires of our hearts are sinful. And if we're going to have success in resisting temptation to sin in these ways, we need a solution that is getting to the source of the issue. We need God's help. So in Psalm 19, David prays, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. So David's concerned, not just with the words that are coming out of his mouth, but with his heart, the source of the issue. And if we're going to start tackling the issue of sins in our language, we need to move forward in that same prayerful dependence on God's grace. So why don't I finish by praying for us now? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the the grace and mercy we enjoy um, through your son given for us, Jesus Christ, Lord. Father I pray that um, as we are convicted of um, sinful patterns in our speech and our language Lord I pray that through your spirit you'll help us uh, you'll help us to use our language um, to build each other up and to give grace um, to each other Lords, We pray for this in your holy name Lords, Amen.